Hey, what's happening? Episode 121. I am Shane, and I'm very happy to have as our guest, Jake, who is co-host of the Tasting Anarchy podcast, and also the big bad brains behind Childeberg. How are you doing, sir? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So, uh, yeah, the main reason that I wanted to have you on is that uh, I, I look at the calendar. Childeberg is uh, it's getting pretty close. It's getting pretty close yeah. here. Yeah, it's creeping um, up on us. Yeah. And this is Childeberg 3. Uh, yep. So, I guess just um, just talk about – because, okay, so I guess a little quick story. Uh, Nico and I went to the first one, and if I remember correctly, I might be I might be being conservative with the numbers, but I think there was maybe thirty people at that one. That no, there's thirty five at, at Childerberg one. Okay. Yep. Uh, well, over the course, you know, people that showed up, that not everybody stayed necessarily for the entire time, but right. yeah, and then um, maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but b- basically the same number of people at Childerberg two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before Childerberg, well, originally Childerberg two was going to be at the same time as uh, the Libertarian National Convention, and it was going to be at a park in Austin. And uh, then 2020 happened, and uh, we got kicked out of the park uh, because of COVID. And then um, the Libertarian National Convention got canceled. So tons of the people that were going to go, we had about 100 people signed up to go to Childerberg too. And, um, that got canceled, uh, or a lot of those people had to cancel. And then we went to our second location and that got closed because of COVID. And then we went to our third location and that got closed because of COVID. <laughs> and so we ended up at, uh, at, a, I found a, a fourth location that happened to be open and, um, we were able to make that work. We, we had a, 35 people again. Um, I think that was the final count was 35, but it was some people just showed up for a couple of hours and then had to leave. Uh, but it was, it was a good time. And we liked the venue so much that we're doing the same place, which is Mule Shoe Bend recreational area. It's um, about 45 minutes uh, West of Austin. It's near a town called, um, well, it's near a, a very, very tiny town called Spicewood. And then that's about 15 minutes away from a larger town called Marble Falls. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. And as far as I know, I mean, this is definitely going to be the biggest one for sure in terms of the the count that people are going to be there. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, we've got a lot of people signed up to be there. And yeah. so, um, and this year we'll have some live entertainment, which is going to be a little bit different than the previous two years. And um, that seems to be very attractive to people. So mm-hmm. we're, we're very excited. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's crazy just how, how big it's grown because like I was saying with the first one, like you said, it was about 35 people there mm-hmm. and you know, it really did feel like a really small, uh, tight knit group of people. You know, we went to, to, to uh, some wineries and that was a lot of fun. Just the whole yeah. experience was, was just epic and crazy. And, you know, obviously get, getting to meet you and a lot of the other people that were there, um, it's funny too because I think when uh, I, I don't I'm pretty sure it was the last day that at least Nico and I were there, mm-hmm. we were leaving, and we met the peaceful treason guys, and yeah. originally was like, oh hey what's going on but I think it ended up being like a thirty minute to an hour conversation just 
talking. I don't even exactly know what we were talking about, but we were just having a good time just talking and chatting and everything like that. And that's basically how it is. You're, yeah. you're basically going around meeting everyone and uh, having interesting conversations. And I think that's, that's something that, especially nowadays, that's it's it's missing. And I think when people are going to go, especially for Childerberg three, and how how many people are going to be there, at least in terms of signups and everything like that. Yeah, I think that's something that people are going to enjoy again because, like like with the, like you're saying with the second one, originally there was a, a, an amount of people going, but they didn't end up going because of the whole COVID thing and all the all that crap that happened with that. Yeah, and so. With, with this one, it's it's gonna be a it's gonna be a lot of fun for for those who are listening and watching. And if you are signed up, you are gonna go. You're, you're gonna have a good time. And so, I, I did say this before we started that I was gonna um, make an announcement that I tweeted when when we we're previewing this. I was gonna make an announcement. Um, it's it's not a good announcement, but Nico and I aren't gonna go. So Childerberg three is gonna be. We're not gonna go for this one again. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I, I think we have a pretty good reason not to yeah, go. Yeah. I, you know. <laughs> you know. yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much it. We're not going to go, but I, I felt like with this episode, I, I think I'll help. As, as I know, our show is pretty small, but as as small as it is, I'm sure it'll help promote it and everything like that. So yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that people who who listen to this show probably have a lot of uh, crossover with with other shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people that you've had on the show um, are yeah. going to be there. And I think that'll be a lot of fun. I, know, I saw that Scott Horton posted about it earlier oh, today yeah. on Twitter. So if you guys are interested in meeting him, it looks like he's going to be there. Uh, I, I've spoken to Monica Perez um, from the Propaganda Report. Uh, she'll be there at least for the day where we have live comedy and live music. Um, people who are familiar with part of the problem, Robbie the Fire Bernstein is our, our kind of our headline act. He's going to be putting on a comedy show there that Saturday night at Iron Wolf Distillery. And we've got some other music. We got a, a local comedian, Brian Breckenridge, who's really good. He's, he's very funny. Uh, very, he's a Ron Paul guy. So uh, very, our sort of group of people oriented type jokes, a lot of conspiracy theory jokes, anti-fed jokes, things like that. Oh, and really funny. Like we, we saw him when we went to see um, uh, Shane, uh, is it Shane Clay? Not Shane Claymore. Um Gillis? Shane Gillis. Yeah. We went and saw Shane Gillis and he opened for Shane Gillis from, you know, you know, how like when you go to a comedy show, there's like yeah. a local guy, then there's like the main acts opener and then the main guy. Right. And so he was like the local guy who opened and just was absolutely hilarious. And because he had so many jokes that I was like, I think this guy's like in my area, there's enough conspiracy, enough kind of Liberty stuff where after the show, I went and talked to him and, and just said, Hey, what, you know, are you interested in coming down and doing a set at Childerberg? And he was like, Oh my gosh, that sounds right up my alley. He's big Tom Woods guy. Um, and uh, so he, he's really funny. Um, Nikki P is gonna, is gonna come down and play some music for us. And uh, we have some other uh, music that I, I don't, I don't want to announce anything that's not 100%, but uh, we have some other music that'll probably be there. A couple of other smaller comedy acts, people who do amateur comedy, but are people that you'll know in the Liberty community uh, that'll come and do, a, a, do something. And then we'll have uh you know, just the general podcasters, you know, myself and Mason from uh, Tasting Anarchy. And then Rollo's going to be there again. Car, Car Camp is going to be there at least for one of the days uh, from formerly the Friends Against Government podcast and currently Timeline Earth. Uh, Bird said he's coming. So I'm I'm looking forward to meeting Bird in person, also from Timeline Earth. And um, 
Yeah, just a t just a ton of people. I mean, a lot of the same people that were at Childerberg one and two are coming again. Agora Brewing, Cody from uh, from Agora Brewing, uh, he's going to come down and do another mead tasting. Uh, and oh. uh, yeah, I mean, just tons of people. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you know, one of the things like that you mentioned was that uh, people just kind of click. Like once you get there, like there, it's just you don't. Not everybody knows each other. Uh, you may know each other from Twitter or from uh, somewhere else online. Yeah. Uh, but once it just feels very natural to just strike up a conversation, you're going to talk about all sorts of weird stuff, uh, you know, from like serious political issues to just, you know, funny fart jokes and things like that. I mean, it, it, it the, the gambit is wide. And then, uh, you know, the lakes right there. So you can jump if you want to do some kayaking or swimming. If you have a kayak, you can bring it down um, or just swimming in general. There's also some great hiking in the area. Uh, the comedy show and music will be at a distillery, which is, we went there last year. We didn't know the area at all. So we just kind of discovered stuff last year. This distillery was excellent. And the dude who runs, it's very Liberty oriented and uh really cool guy. Uh, it's called iron wolf distillery. They, they make a lot of stuff. Uh, the one that I liked, they have a, I, I didn't even, I don't really like liquor, uh, but they do have a gin that I thought was actually really good. Um, and so that, and then there's a winery down the street. We'll, Tried to hit that winery up again this year. It's called Spicewood. It's actually a higher end winery. It's pretty good, and um, yeah, it's just it's just going to be a great time. Just relaxing, fun. People from all over the country are coming, and um, possibly one person from out of the country. So, uh, wow. But again, I don't want to announce people who haven't <laughs> said it already online. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I know also in addition to that. Uh, you guys are doing a uh, to kind of help, I guess, fund the show or the uh, the the, um, the event, I should say. Uh, I know you're, you have like the freeross.org where you do a donation there. Can you kind of talk about that as well? Yeah. So the as as long as the costs of the event, I, I just front the money, and then as long as those costs are met, all proceeds above that go to freeross.org. Uh, last year, I think we were pushing. I would have to look up the number for sure, but I think it was a little, it was over five, uh, over, over $400. The first year it was like 175 bucks. So we did a good job. Uh, top fundraiser was uh, Agora Brewing last year. Second mm -hmm. fundraiser was uh, Rollo's Fruitcake. Uh, so he did, he's done that two years in a row. He's going to do it this year as well, where it's basically a 50, 50 raffle guessing the weight of the fruitcake and, oh, yeah, uh, that was fun. you know, yeah, price is right rules. So closest, uh, closest without going over wins and you get, Half and the other half goes to Free Ross. Uh, Agora Brewing, same thing. Um, it's donation based, so um, if you make the donation to FreeRoss.org, that'll give you a taste of uh, his mead that he makes at home. And um, yeah, we do a good job. I, I mean, it's it's so far we've done. And then the t-shirt sales, same thing. T-shirt sales mostly cover the cost of the event itself, um, and then anything over that goes to Free Ross. And then usually. Um, Mason and I will, will match it up to $200. So anything that we give to freerouse.org, uh, tasting anarchy will match that up to $200. Cause we are, we already pay for the, <laughs> the yeah. event. So, so I, I can't shell out all of the money for it, but it, it's right. great. And, and freerouse.org is extremely important to, um, all of us that, that have been going to Childerberg. It's just, it's extremely like, it almost feels like it's not enough to say it's unfair because it's like worse than unfair. Yeah you know, he's been in jail for all these years now for a nonviolent crime, not even a, not even like a drug offense, just for making a website 
uh, I think double life plus 40 is what they gave him. And I, a bunch of the people that were involved in the investigation are in jail, like the FBI agents and stuff like that for corruption. And uh, the judge, the judge has a lot of like shady stuff about her, you know, and it's, it's, it's really a huge tragedy. And they, they did, they explicitly said in the trial that they would, that they were making an example of him. And so he's a political prisoner basically is that the government decided that what he did was so egregious that they needed to put him in jail for a young man, same age as me, put him in jail for the rest of his life uh, for the crime of making it easy for people to buy and sell things online. And uh, pretty, pretty horrific, but that's what our, uh, that's what our goal is, is to get as much money to that organization as possible. Because at this point, the only thing that's going to get him out of jail is a, is a pardon. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so uh, that's what we're, our goal is to make sure that his, his mom, uh, Lynn Oldbrick can get in front of as many people connected to, Whoever the president is at the time, currently Biden, Trump previously, make sure that she can get the the word out, get people upset about this enough that it will get the attention of whoever can actually give a presidential pardon. Yeah, I know when uh, I'm sure it was like the last month or so, but just pretty much during that whole last few months or so of Trump's presidency, people were just tweeting the crap. But this is obviously before yeah. he was done with, I mean, again, banned off of Twitter or whatever, but even right uh, with that. They were they were shouting, basically, and tweeting at him, basically saying, "Hey, please, uh, yeah, pardon Ross and and Julian Assange and Snowden, and, I'm, and I know there's others yeah. as well, but yeah, it's it's crazy because you're mentioning about how a lot of the people in that case, like the prosecution, for example, or just the, uh, the agents with that." or in jail because of corruption or anything like that, but they're going to keep him there because like you were saying, a political prisoner, we're going to make an example of him. And it's almost like they're yeah. saying, and I don't know if it's maybe I'm reading too much into it or, or whatever, but I mean, who knows it's the government. So you, I mean, what are you, what are you going to say? But um, it just seems that it's like, okay, we know we were wrong, but we're still going to act like we did the right thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's so dumb. It is, is, and it's and it's extremely tragic too. Uh, yeah, and you know, his account is actually a good one to follow on Twitter because it's very encouraging to somebody who has kind of been put into this situation. Uh, is still very positive and uh, kind of fighting for whatever goodness he could fight for in jail. I mean, like he's also had a lot of really tough stuff in jail too. He refused to join a gang, so they had to put him in solitary for his. Mm for a safety, which tells you something about jail is yeah. that like the government can't even protect you when you're in a facility that they control. Right. Um, so they had to put him in solitary, which is cruel and unusual in my opinion. I mean, you should, nobody should be in solitary. And then, uh, then they had to switch him to a, a prison that is specifically for people who refuse to join a gang and became a, become a target. So like, and I think, I think it's in Colorado or somewhere like that now. So, um, and then he's, but he's been making as good as as good a use of his time as he can um, while he's in jail. And uh, all we can do out here is try to make sure that he gets released at some point, um, hopefully as soon as possible. Yeah, and like you were saying with uh, Joe Biden being the current president, I mean, I guess people felt because Trump was quote unquote an outsider quote-unquote outsider uh they felt oh 
maybe we have a chance now. We can yeah. get we can get this guy out and other people that we feel have been wrongly jailed and everything like that. But he didn't do that. So now we yeah. have Joe Biden who's yeah, I guess tech, yeah, I guess technically he's back back to the status quo or whatever you want to call it. That's what he's saying. Normalcy, I guess. Right, right. I mean, was, that, yeah. yeah, I mean, with Trump, one of the things that, and it, you know, didn't amount to anything. And this is kind of sort of the story of Trump, I think, for liberty oriented people in general, is that there was a lot of things that he would say that, that made, I think, a lot of people in the liberty movement sort of hopeful. Mm-hmm. Like, and then nothing ever came of it. And that was just kind of the same thing over and over again, where it was just like, oh, maybe he will get us out of Afghanistan. And nothing really happened. And, yeah. you know, uh, maybe he'll, you know, stop this or maybe he'll stop that or, may- you know, and then there was a lot of crime reform or uh, jail reform that he was doing um, or kind of pushing for. And uh, everybody made fun of um, Kim Kardashian for, you know, going yeah. to him. But she, you know, she's actively saved somebody's life yeah. uh, by getting him out of jail. And so he was doing things like that that made it seem like, hey, maybe this is actually possible. And it, it didn't it didn't amount to anything. But that's, uh, you know. Your, your expectations with the government is very low. All you can do is just keep trying. So, uh, and in this case, you know, that's all we can do. And uh, they need money because lawyers are really expensive. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like you were talking about with uh, Kim Kardashian and everything like that. I'm sure there's people who are tweeting. I heard saying, Hey, at least read up on this guy's story or anything like that. I don't know. I'm sure yeah. that's been done, but I haven't seen that lately. Uh, but yeah, like you said, she has helped some people get out of jail and that that's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it's also, um, it's also, I guess it, it kind of makes you go, well, like you were saying, I gave a lot of people in the, in the Liberty world, I guess, I guess some kind of false hope with Trump, kind of like when Obama was president, some people were giving some false hope with him. It was kind of the yeah. exact opposite or political, whatever you want to call it. Sure. Like, yeah. People on the other side or whatever, they're false hope. And nine times out of 10, nothing came of it, however you want to look at it. And now with Biden in there, and I mean, I, I mean, you can try to do it because like, you, like with Afghanistan, for example, and how I think the original date for uh, withdrawal of Afghanistan was April 1st. And then of course we're past that and they're still there. And I think I read a story just, I think it was today or so saying that they're actually deploying more troops to Afghanistan for some reason. I can't exactly what the reason reason was, but they were deploying more troops there. And I think they, I think he wanted to get troops out by September 11th or something. Cause I guess he wanted to be symbolic. Hey, 9-11, remember that day? So uh, we're going to yeah. bring troops back in, on 9-11. Well, I thought that was kind of interesting how that was all framed. By the, you know, if we get out, we that's what I, I just want us to be out. But what was funny, the way that the media presented that was that, oh, thank God, like he's going to get us out of Afghanistan on September 11th. That's going to be awesome. And then if you just kind of scratch the surface just a bit and look into it, Trump had signed a deal with the Taliban to leave, I think, May 14th. Yeah. And uh, like that was going to be the final date. So it's like, so he pushed the leave date out till September. How is that a victory? Like you just extended the war. Like, but, but that's, you know, that's kind of how things go is, you know, most people don't pay attention to things like this. And and that's, and that's why we, you know, they, they always say you have the government you deserve. And, (laughs) 
Uh, you know, maybe the American people do to some degree, but I don't think the Afghanis deserve to have the government we have. So uh, it would be nice if um, we get out. I, I, I am extremely skeptical that we will leave. And you can already see the way that they're that the way that the media is starting to present it is where they'll be like they'll put an, uh, an article out that'll be like experts say leaving Afghanistan would be very detrimental to the transgender community in Afghanistan or something like that. It's like all four of them, yeah, right? Like, yeah. I mean, like what what about the ones that you've killed and bombed or like the kids in the hospitals or you know the government you're backing has child sex slavery? Like the you know there's all sorts of terrible stuff. Like you can't. Like there's, I think they, there's like outrage fatigue. It's like, you have to only, you only have so much outrage. And so like, you've got to have one thing that they're pushing. And right now that's, that's the outrage is anything transgendered related, which maybe, maybe we'll get into that later with the uh, uh, governor of California. But um, yeah, is that that's how it all has to be framed currently. And so it's whatever the, whatever racism and transgenderism is kind of like the current outrage from the media and at a certain point, people will be, and they talk about this too, is like with COVID fatigue, for example, people are just sick of it. So at a certain point, people will get sick of it and they'll have to switch to something else. And so, but you can kind of see them running the narrative with Afghanistan is that here are all the reasons why now we have to stay there, even though we've been there since I was in eighth grade. So, and I'm 34. So it's like, what has not been accomplished in the last 20 years that's going to be accomplished with another six months. And the answer is just more dead people. But um, <laughs> yeah. from their perspective, who knows, who knows what they think they're going to accomplish. Maybe, I mean, if, they, if in the last 20 years you couldn't have like all of the women of, of, of Afghanistan, like educated and brought up to a higher level, what do you, what's another six months going to do? Like if, if that's, if that's the, the true concern, which it's not, the true concern is that, Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman and right. all these people need to be able to sell their weapons and all of these contractors that build roads that then get blown up by those other weapons. They're all going to lose out on that money. And it's a huge cash cow. Yeah. Like you were saying, there's this, uh, there were like stories saying, Oh man, women's rights. We can't yeah. leave because of women's rights. And it's just, what? Like, okay. Yeah. I guess. I mean, I don't know, but, um, yeah, you mentioned like the military industrial complex and everything like that. Uh, so Liz Cheney is, I guess, mulling a 2024 <laughs> presidential run. And I'm thinking, yeah. okay, good luck. I mean, if right. you want to do that, go ahead. But, and, and the, okay, so the war is pretty much unpopular. I mean, we're pretty much at a point where Republican, it's probably one of the few things that Republicans and Democrats in terms of, like conservatives and progressives and everything like that. One of the things that they can agree on is that, yeah, this war is stupid. Let's get out. Let, yeah. Let's get out of there. But I mean, I mean, it's one of those things too, where you're, you're this person is supposed to represent the people that mm -hmm. they, their district or whatever. And I, I would probably bet, I would bet that, Whoever Liz, I don't even know where Liz Cheney is represented. I don't know what state she's from. I would probably guess that the majority of the people that she's supposed to represent probably don't want to continue the war. But in yeah. her mind, oh, we need to continue this. And like you said, it's because I'm sure most of her income is coming from 
all those weapons contracts and all the military industrial come. So and she can't be like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I think we should get out. Yeah. That sounds like a good idea. No, because I'm sure most of your money comes from that. Yeah. So you, you saw that uh, you get, you guys watched part of the problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you saw Dave had on that guy, uh, Dan McKnight from um, defending the guard. I think it's the charity. It's like a, it's like a anti-war veterans group. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's more of a conservative uh, leaning type of group. Yeah. 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 But, but they're anti-war. Right. And that was what, and so he had that guy on and I thought it was really interesting when he was, I, I, it was just something that people in our world kind of already know this, but people who are, I guess, more blue pilled would, they think of, you know, you basically what you said, you, we elect this guy to represent us and they're going to do what we want. And he talked about this where, um, various politicians he would speak to directly and they'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm also, we also need to get out of Afghanistan. You know, we, we've, we've spilt too much of our American blood there and, and so on and so forth. And um, he goes, but as soon as they, the conversation ends and they go to Congress or whatever, that's it. You know, there's, it, there's never another word about this or they vote repeatedly to extend the war or uh, to continue, you know, various funding and so, and, and there's different, you know, ways that you could, that they can justify it, but it's ultimately it's that I, and I think that these, the, the last couple of years have sort of, well, you know, I guess red pilled people to this is that, um, these people don't represent you and it's mm -hmm. extremely yeah. unlikely that you're ever going to get somebody who will represent you. I mean, right. there, there's, there's rare, you know, Ron Paul and, uh, Thomas Massey, but it's so rare that you can actually name these specific people. And that's that. That's how rare it is. Is that if it was a common thing that you wouldn't be able to name them all. But it's like I, on my hand, I can I mean, Justin Amash, Thomas Massey, Ron Paul, Rand Paul to some degree. Um, he's pretty good. Um, there's maybe a couple of others that I'm not thinking of, but there's you know you really I, I would say under ten that are in my memory that mm -hmm. are people who actually are are good anti-war, fiscally you know not even fiscally conservative. I don't even really care that much about that. Uh, well, I do, but like in this context, just, just yeah. stop this one thing. Right. And so many of, and Davis brought this up tons of times too, is that they all run on it. You know, Obama ran on ending these wars mm. and, uh, and Bush, when you and I were much younger, when Bush ran the first, uh, he, he ran on a humble foreign policy mm -hmm. and uh, Trump, same thing. Is you know that the big famous thing that Trump said in uh, South Carolina when he said they lied us into war and you know everybody was clapping and applauding and all that sort of stuff. They they all do it, and um, I would say probably Biden's the only one who who wasn't really didn't really run on anti-war rhetoric, uh, and I think he he can't because he was so involved in Afghanistan and and uh, Iraq because he was in the Senate at the time. So I, it's just kind of interesting though that that is still sort of the ethos of America is that they. Although we are in all of these foreign wars, just the, the general populace don't want them. But for some reason, this this government that supposedly represents us is always getting in these wars because they don't represent us. They represent special interests, and those special interests sell them weapons. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah, it's um, in it, it. I mean, listening to the Scott Horton show, that's another kind of example where. He can talk to pretty much anyone, whether you're a socialist or a conservative, libertarian, progressive, or whatever. If you're anti-war, he'll talk to you. Like if yeah. you want to end some kind of aspect of the wars, he'll talk to you. And I think that's that's an important uh, thing to to grasp. And 
I mean, they 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 spend so so much money. I, I can just I can just think, and it's one of those things where even if you maybe not agree in terms of where that money should go or anything like that, you can understand someone who says, "Well, if we took all that money that's in the military industrial complex and is put into something like healthcare or something like that, it's like, well, I can yeah. I, I I get wh- where you're coming from because in in their eyes, well, they go, well, this means they're killing someone, and over here means they're helping someone out, right? So you can kind of get where they're coming from in that. And, I, and yeah. I'd be okay with that if 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 it if you could guarantee me that the wars were going to end and they wanted to have some sort of like universal health care or whatever, that's fine. Like, yeah, just, just stop that one thing and we can deal with domestic stuff later. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a lot of the, the message that I think uh, like Scott would say is if we, once we do that, then we can talk about some of the other stuff and, and yeah. argue or whatever, have conversations about the things that are domestic wise, but yeah, foreign policy. Yeah. That, that stuff is, completely insane and right. I, I i just can't i don't know i just can't even imagine like someone like a liz cheney just just being and i don't know if she's just being oblivious or she doesn't care i'm sure maybe it's both i don't know but yeah. I, I don't know i mean like i said if she's gonna run if she does actually end up running in 2024 Good luck, because that to me it'd be hilarious if she does end up running and she gets like zero percent. That'd be funny. <laughs> yeah, but then, but then if she gets zero percent, she'll just be vice president, like Kamala. Oh so. yeah, well yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but I mean, I know that uh, Ron DeSantis's name has been kind of thrown out there in terms of running yeah. as a GOP president. Could you imagine if it was DeSantis Cheney? Like, I don't know if, that, yeah. if the DeSantis fans would like that. It's like, why would you choose her? Like, really? Who are you right. who are you me at? I mean, I don't know. Well, and, and like I can see some appeal of DeSantis, especially on like the way that he's run Florida, but um, Florida doesn't like invade other countries. And he's from my understanding is quite a war hawk, uh, but he has sort of that sort of Trump kind of uh, sort of that sort of s- Trump style. Yeah. Which, which you see it a lot. I think that he actually like took like hand gesture. Yeah. Yeah. He does the same, the same <laughs> yeah. sort of like weird hand gesture things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's been, been studying on like, his Trump videos or something. Yeah. I, the thing though is that, you know, he's governor of a state that is doing extremely well in the pandemic. He's not going to win New York and California anyways. So it's like, it, that's kind of irrelevant. Yeah. So like, those are the people who don't like him are the people from these like extreme left lockdown States. The people who do like him are, and that's how you, that's how you win. I mean, at this point, it's not the, the country, you're not building a coalition to win. I, I don't know if you ever, I don't know if they ever, if that was ever really the thing is that we had Joe Biden got the, the most votes ever. Right. And, and by percentage, very, very high, actually, as far as like the number of people who turned out to vote, but Trump got second most. And as a percentage, extremely high. And there wasn't that much difference between the two, as far as like just the popular vote goes. And that, you know, that's mm-hmm. not how the election works exactly. So yeah. There, there's just really not that much up for grabs for which I think why they're tra- like recently they're they uh, although they do this all the time but they're pushing to get DC to become an, a new state uh, and it passed the House uh, so you know and Biden said he'd support it but it, it won't pass the Senate um, or m- maybe it won't I mean I I've been surprised before I guess but uh, the that's kind of I think what's going on right now is that there's just right now it's sort of like the I think the country is so divided and then and because it's so divided, you end up getting these just not great candidates at all. You you get, 
and DeSantis, like again, good on COVID stuff, sort of. And uh, although he did lock down for a time, which is not like I, I would have preferred, you know. Although, and same thing though with like the uh, what's the governor of South Dakota's name? Um, oh, uh, Christy Nome. Christy Nome, yeah. Uh, she never locked down. Like that's better. But she's also, if you go look at her foreign policy comments and stuff like that, terrible on foreign policy. Yeah. So like. You know, maybe we'll get Dave Smith. Maybe he'll be president. <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> well, he did need to say, oh, you know, I'm seriously considering running uh, for president. So, I mean, I don't know. That would be, uh, um, that would be really, see, I was thinking about that. Uh, that you mentioned um, Dave Smith, like possibly running or whatever. I was thinking about that. I'm thinking, okay, so if he does end up running and uh, I think it would be hilarious if he did run, if he did end up running or whatever. And, he does end up getting the nomination. How are all the people who are saying, well, you got to support the nominee no matter what. And the people who don't like yeah. Dave Smith, they're going to be like, well, I'll make an exception this one time. Eh, yeah. I don't know. I'm not, I don't really like some of the things they've said. I don't like who, some of the people he's had on his podcast. Eh, I, I'm good. I'm going to, I'm going to abstain from voting this time. Yeah. Well, I, I guess we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, it can't, you know, a Dave Smith campaign can't be that much worse than a uh, Joe Jorgensen campaign. So, <laughs> I mean, and it'll be more entertaining. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, at least you got that. I mean, the thing is, like, I've, I've, you know, I've been in libertarian politics since 2008 ish, 2007. Uh, I, I used to run the Young Libertarians in Virginia Beach, and um, thing is, that the party has always kind of been this way, where like. I, it is annoying, but it's always sort of had this sort of like, uh, like it's a like gated, like a gated community or something. Like you have to, uh, you have to know the of, yeah. yeah, it's because it's because it's those people's club, especially right. like the Young Libertarians was a little bit different because it was mostly just people hanging out. It, it was basically my 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 four my four what do they call it Fourier Fourier the entry into Childeberg was I ran a political organization and it was boring. <laughs> So in, instead of it being boring, I was like, well, let's just make it a party once a month. Yeah. And so we would we had the top floor of a bar and we just had a big group where people would, you know, bullshit and talk. And once in a while we'd get stuff done. Like none of it really mattered because that's just kind of politics are is if you're not in one of the main parties, not a lot of stuff matters. Like we did. We ran a campaign um, Virginia when I first kind of got into the group. Virginia was outlawing smoking inside. Hmm. Um, and so we, we did a campaign kind of where we went around and tried to get, uh, restaurants to sign up to allow it to still be optional because this is, and, and sure enough too, like I, exactly what we predicted happened. There were a number of restaurants that were not great. One of them was called Atlas bar and grill. Um, they were not great restaurants, but their, their big gimmick was that they were a family friendly when, when, and friendly friendly was code word for, we don't allow smoking inside. So they didn't even have a smoking section. But all of the other bars and stuff or all of the other restaurants and stuff had a smoking section. And it was basically just like a high wall that the smoke just kind of went over and it made the mm -hmm. entire place smell like smoke. Uh, but that's what smoking sections used to be like. And um, Atlas was like really big into us trying to get this law not to pass because that's how they made money. They weren't a great restaurant. Like Their service was okay. Their food was not great. But it was smoke free. And so people after church a lot would like to go over there because they want to bring their kids out with them and they don't want to go to a restaurant that has smoking. Well, if you make it so nobody's allowed to have smoking, you remove their competitive edge. And our prediction was if this law passes, Atlas will go out of business. And sure enough, it went out of business. It became like a Froyo place or something like that. Hmm. And um, good Froyo though. But, <laughs> um, but 
And then the the restaurant that they competed with was Kelly's Tavern, where we actually had a lot of libertarian meetings. Um, and they basically just took over what Atlas did. They they had the almost the exact same menu. I mean, it was just burgers and it was like Applebee's type food. Yeah. Um, and so that was like that was one of the big political things we did. But most of that stuff, a it, it it's very discouraging when you're not making any difference um, politically, uh, and it's not, I mean, the system is not really set up for a third party. If you think you're going to make political change, you can do what Ron Paul did and change a lot of people's minds and impact the overall political culture that way. Um, and that's probably a better use of your, your skill and time. And running for president is one of those things that can kind of help with that if you have a good candidate. I mean, you know, we the libertarians had Harry Brown, which was a really good candidate. And and actually, I think uh, Joe Jorgensen was his running mate uh, in the in the 96, or was it 96? I don't remember which campaign it was, but she ran with him at one point. And, um, but Harry Brown was kind of inspirational. And, but then like when we got, when I got into the movement, we had Bob Barr, who, you know, is Bob Barr. And then, uh, Gary Johnson, who I actually think is actually not a terrible guy. His second campaign wasn't good. His first campaign I thought was good, and it did actually convince a lot of people when he didn't have a lot of media attention. It convinced a lot of people who were kind of borderline or didn't really like Obama, didn't really like um, – who was the second one? Uh, I think it was uh, – was it Romney was the second one or was Romney the first? Yeah, it was Romney. Romney. Yeah, so yeah, people who didn't like yeah. either one um, kind of were like, oh – this is kind of interesting. A guy who supports legalization of weed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you had four years of Obama who you thought maybe he would be a little bit more lenient, but end up being far, far, <laughs> far harsher on it. Even after like California and places like, and Colorado and places like that legalized it. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, he had record numbers of raids and stuff like that on these places. So people who were very interested in those types of issues. Um, and that kind of, I think did bring people into the party. I mean, I always say this is that, um, you know, People dog on Gary Johnson a lot, but he brought in a lot of people I know into the party, and and I got brought into the party by Bob Barr, who is was not in in retrospect like my political like the way I think now. I'm just like, ugh, how, how could I ever have thought this guy was good? But there was he was kind of normal enough, so I do kind of understand that sort of like mainstream sort of um, gig community sort of idea where they're like, well, we want these people who are like palatable or whatever. But I don't think we live in that. We live in the age of post Trump now. I mean. Yeah. Palatable is not on the menu anymore. It's right. uh I mean, like even even Joe Biden to some degree, I, I wouldn't think is is particularly palatable. He's like ancient and he's not like Dave Smith says this all the time. He's, he's not old like he's not like Ron Paul, who's like a spry old man. He's just old. Like yeah. he, he you know, it's he's he's incoherent most of the time. You don't really know what he's talking about. He trails off in these weird sentences. He's always squinting at everything, which is is like very old man. Like, like every single time you see him, like, why are you squinting? Like you're inside. It's not that bright. So, yeah. but, uh, so like there's just, he does these like very old man type things. So in a normal, in like a normal time of America, you know, back in the eighties or nineties or whatever, these people I don't think would fly. Um, but we don't, we live in a, we live in the age where I think a Dave Smith could be extremely popular and get a lot of message because, People don't really this. They, they understand the game a little bit better now. This is just power grab. This is just power plays now. This is not us coming together as Americans to solve problems. Um, and they 
And so they want to be entertained. And I think that's one of the reasons why Trump did very well. And then with Biden, it was just a, a figure like Trump is just so divisive. It's anything but that. And so you kind of get this. I, th I think this is the time where it doesn't really matter if it's palatable or not. So like, I get, you know, it's kind of like the boomers are gone and we're now people who grew up with reality television and um, video games and all sorts of things that are like entertaining. So that's kind of what you need the, I guess, the political campaign to be. And I'm very much like that. I mean, I, I would say like I'm peak millennial in that, in that sense is I ran our Liberty meeting because I wanted to have fun. And that's what I want Childeberg to do. And some people are going to come and do those things. And they are going to, through just interacting with people who have these ideologies, they're going to kind of come to it as well. And that'll, that'll grow the movement. And, um, and I think for young people, that's that's extremely important. I mean, people were attracted to Trump because he's entertaining and he's fun. That's why he, that's why it was a very youthful movement to get mm -hmm. Trump elected. Like a lot of very young people involved in it, and um, you know, people our age, uh, which you know, five years ago when Trump was was running, we were both in our in our twenties, and uh, you know, it's a it's just interesting. It's it's an interesting time. It's a very interesting time. I think it's I think the time is right for Dave Smith. That's 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 the long and the short of it. Dave Smith. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, like you were saying, like pre-Trump, you know, you would get Bush, and I mean, I guess Obama had the energy too back in that time. But yeah, like, that's but true. Obama, yeah, like Obama energy, that that was that was that was like a, a huge movement, you know, the, yeah. the hope and change and everything like that. And then you know, Ron right. Paul had the same thing, where there was just this massive movement behind him, and then of course there was probably some sh shenanigans behind him, not not yeah. getting the nomination and. And people are like news organizations not showing the numbers that he would get. Oh, he got second place. Then nah, don't show him. Just show first, third, fourth, yeah. fifth. Yeah, anything like that. And then, uh, yeah. So Joe Biden, you know, he'll fall up the stairs, not down the stairs, like with the uh, going up Air Force One. So that was great. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but yeah, like Donald Trump. I mean, uh, how old is he? Like a thousand? But yeah, he acts like he's still in his forties. Where he's just still moving around and. Yeah, he did all those, uh, uh, all like the tours that he was doing, uh, his campaign or whatever, doing the the second one, and I mean he was going to city to city, boom, 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 boom. It's just like, man, yeah. this guy—I don't know what he's doing, snorting cocaine or something—but this guy's yeah, got probably. a lot of energy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know what's going on with him, but uh, yeah, post Trump, it seems like you need someone, yeah, that is just not boring. Guess, yeah, not boring. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because, I mean, if you get – again, going back to Liz Cheney, if she does end up running – I mean, are you going to bring the energy? I, I don't know. What are you going to do? What, what are you going to do to make you stand out instead of being like, well, I, I'm, I don't like Trump. Okay, well, there's right. a lot of people who do like Trump, and a lot of America First people are going to look at you and be like – because you see it on Twitter. America First people, libertarians, socialists, progressives, all of them are like, nah, nah, I don't like enough. Nah, right. Fuck this lady or whatever. But – that's why I think it'd be funny if she does end up running and then she gets, but again, she might end up being vice president like Kamala Harris. Cause that's right. Her, so I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess it's really interesting how unexciting so many people in politics are, but they still get in there, which is, that's kind of why I'm always suspicious about elections in general. That's why yeah. I like when, when all the stuff was coming around that, like that the, the stop the steal stuff, I was like, yeah, it's possible. I, uh, you know, I, I, I was surprised that Trump got elected. So, Although, although I did win money on it, I did bet on that. So, but uh, 
Yeah. Bingo. So <laughs> I felt like I had some insight. <laughs> it's like, oh man, I got money on this. So you better win. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, if, if Dave does end up running and he gets the nomination, I just think, I just kind of, I mean, there's, there's like that cynical side of me that wants to see all the people who don't like him, see how they're going to react. Yeah. And I, I think, and I don't know if that's, that's like the best way of looking at him running and the whole campaign in general as a whole, but yeah. it'll, it'll just be funny to see how people would react. And, and, you know, and this is according to him and I don't, I'm not going to say I know a hundred percent because I'm not, I'm not in that world in terms of, um, in terms of like the numbers or anything like that, but I'll, I'll see tweets and hear retweet. Hey, you know, I was a, I used to be a Bernie bro, whatever, but listening to you, like just recently he was on Joe Rogan. I listened to you on Joe Rogan's parents. Like, Oh, you make some good points. Whatever. I think I might yeah. I'm a libertarian now, or I, I didn't know I was a libertarian, but then I heard you talk about it. I agree with everything you said. I, I think I'm a libertarian. All right. You know, there yeah. you go. And I, I think it's, I mean, he's, he'd make that point too, where he he's, he's because people will say, well, you only bring in alt-right, people whatever but you see a lot of the like i was just saying bernie bro or just left-wingers in general they say hey actually what you what you said was cool and i like it and now i'm gonna sign up to be a part of the libertarian party and i mean you know whatever you want to say about that that's good because i know there's people out there who who just say this do the just go in the gop if and i think because that's already a that's i mean it's part of the two-party system it's already in there I mean, Ron Paul, for example, he was—he didn't run as a libertarian yeah. in 2008-12. He was a Republican, right? And I'm sure that was a strategy to him because he's saying, "Well, I, I already tried the libertarian route. Didn't I mean it worked, but it didn't work that well in terms of what how I how how my message got out there." And now people call call themselves libertarians because of that whole 2008 and 12 campaign from Ron Paul. So yeah, I mean, look, I mean, you can see this like even people like who I would not consider a libertarian at all. Like Ben Shapiro often refers to himself as, as libertarian. And it's like, well, not really, but yeah, yeah. you know, but it, it, which maybe that's not, maybe that's not good. I don't know, but it's sort of like, it's at least it's, it's sort of entered the, the American consciousness that being a libertarian is with the, and there's people on the left too, who do this, uh, you know, uh, uh, Ruben talks about it all the time and he's kind of a lefty guy who's <laughs> kind of moved over toward the, uh, Right, I guess, but like people who used to be just kind of normal people are kind of like now going like, and, and I think it's mostly because of Ron Paul is is are going like, well, this is just like people who want to let people be left alone, um, and and you know once we can get to that point, maybe we can hash out these other things that you know they support either left or right, um, yeah. and. But sort of like what we were talking about before is like let's just stop the wars and then we can talk about these other things late afterward but let's just do this one thing. And then, you know, we can maybe, maybe, you know, the libertarian can, can present itself as a, you know, a, th- a third option. I, I, I'm not, I'm not hopeful in that regard. I just, I think that a, a strong libertarian party is good for changing the mentality of America. And I think that's kind of what Ron Paul did, although he did it through the Republican party is changing this idea of what's going on. There's an, there's enough ripple effects on that, that and enough people kind of seeing what's going on. Mm-hmm. That uh, that I think that's what a a good libertarian candidate could do, especially in a crazy election. If if the next election, if if Trump runs again, the amount of media attention that's going to be put back onto the Libertarian Party, just like with Gary Johnson, 
uh, with during Trump versus Hillary is people kind of going like people already kind of think of the Libertarian Party as being sort of an alternative Republican party. And and to some degree, I think that's a little bit true. Um, although there's a lot of very left wing people in the, in the Libertarian Party as well. But uh, if Trump runs again, they're going to try to put a spotlight, I think, on the Libertarian Party. This time they just kind of completely ignored it. And I think it was because Trump had such a solid base that they didn't think the libertarians would peel anything off of Trump, but they might have peeled something off of Biden if they'd given any attention to Joe Jorgensen. Yeah. Um, because a lot of the stuff that libertarians were sort of running on in the, the previous election were, I would say, more left wing things. Like they weren't really touching a lot of the Trump issues. And, uh, you know, that's for better or for worse. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but, so I think that's kind of what, you know, Dave always talks about this. And I think that's accurate is that the 2016 election was a extremely missed opportunity, but the 2024 election may be a very similar situation, especially if Trump runs again, Biden's not running again. I mean, he's, he's, I don't, I don't think it's a numbers issue like his age. It's just a, he can't run again. I, I don't, I don't think he's going to make the entire four years. Hmm. Um, I, I I, well, I've already pre I've already predicted that he is going to make the entire his, his, oh, yeah. he do his whole first term. But yeah, I mean, if he runs again, I mean, I don't know what, what are they going to do is have like strings on him. Yeah, he's still he's still yeah. snippy, he's still moving around. Right. I mean, once in a while, I'll see him give a talk or something. I'll be like, oh, maybe he's not as far gone as I thought. And then you'll see him do something else. And you're just like, no, he's not. He's not there. Like, he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the debates with Trump. People were saying, oh, man, I can't wait for him to mess up. He's going to mess up really bad. And then you, you see him. He's like, yeah, it wasn't that bad. I mean, if no, anything, yeah. Trump just talked too much. He kept interrupting him, you know, and that first yeah. one, that kind of probably screwed him up with that whole thing. Even in the Democratic debates, I thought it was kind of like he would just trail off. And, and he does that in speeches now. Like one of his early, one of his early earlier speeches, like he had all those papers and stuff. And like several oh. times during the speech, he was just like, and, well, you know, let's, you know. Yeah, he would just next, next he, would, he would say, "Yo, yeah." So, um, I, I don't know. Let's just whatever. Yeah, basically, like he's. Just, I'm old. I don't. I don't have time for this. <laughs> Did you see that? Um, I, I guess they were doing some world leader meeting or something like that. It was like over Zoom, over, and he's he's the only one wearing a mask. <laughs> but not even Trudeau was wearing a mask. Like, right. really? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Come on, that's, man. That, that's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on, man. That, but that's how you know. Yeah. That th if Trudeau's not wearing a mask while they're doing a Zoom meeting, I mean, come on. Even yeah. even Trudeau knows not to wear a mask while you're doing a stupid online meeting. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a weird world. It's clown world. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think I think 2024, in terms of just that national presidential election it's gonna be interesting whoever ends up being the nominee uh yeah. for for all the parties i mean even the even the green party because they'll still bring up jill stein's name up so yeah. oh well she also screwed up uh, hillary clinton becoming president i mean i guess one percent really is that important or whatever um but yeah i think 2024 is going to be interesting for sure and i don't know i i think you know, I'm sure Amash's name will be up there too. People will probably want him to run for the uh, yeah. to be the nominee for the Libertarian Party. I don't know. It, it's just going to be fascinating. Whoever it ends up being, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think Amash would be terrible. Um, yeah. I don't think he would be as fun, but yeah, you know, he'd be he'd be a I think a better candidate than either Gary Johnson or 
uh, Joe Jorgensen, but um, <laughs> I'm or just Bob Barr for that matter. Um, I'm just imagining if uh, like if, if Dave does end up getting the nomination, <laughs> like okay, Dave, you're, you're I know you've been on I know you've been on Kennedy, you know not to cuss, but I don't know. Part yeah. of me <laughs> say f bombs. I don't I don't care. Just just start. Be, just be yourself on TV. I don't even care if you're if you're somehow on that debate stage somehow just. Just start yelling. I don't care. Just start cussing, cussing them out. Like, really? The Joe Biden, look at it, or whoever it is. Really? Look, Kamala Harris, really? Look at this bitch. Like, just calling her names and whoever the Republican is. Like, this Republican, like, look, really? Come on. Yeah. Like, conservatives should like him or whatever. I, it, well, we've kind of gotten a taste of it. That's why, I, that's why, like, I, when I, when he talked about Don Rogan, I was like, oh, that's actually really exciting because um, we've seen him on, you know, like that one time when he was talking that uh, the, uh, the lady about the police in New York when about stop and frisk. Yeah. And yeah. she was just like, well, they're just doing their job. And he goes like, well, you know, it's not really a very morally valid defense to just say that you're following orders. She, oh, it's perfectly a valid response. He goes, really, really just following orders is a perfectly valid response. I think we've already established that that's not the case. And everybody except for the lady arguing with him understood that he's referring to the, the Nazis. Yeah, yeah. Like it's not an excuse. We've, we've already determined this like as a society, that just because somebody said gas a bunch of Jews, like that's not allowed. Like you can't be, oh, you know, just following orders or whatever. Like so, like he's got the wit, I think, and the the quick response. And they can be like, well, you said this about women on Legion of, uh, I don't even want to say Legion of whatever it is yeah, because it's, right. it's inappropriate and offensive to women. He's and he'd just be like, yeah, but you massacred, yeah, right, way yeah. more women. I insulted. Like, yeah, I I said words. Like, I, I said words. You've initiated action towards people that resulted in their death. So yeah. I don't know. I guess when I say something, when I say a bad word to a lady or something, I guess they just drop dead too. I suppose. I guess that's yeah. how it works. You and, know? and I think he's got the wit that he would. And they, they, you know, if they have the full control over the the media narrative, which yeah. I think it's, it's slipping. I think they don't have as much control as they used to. But if. Uh, if by some miracle he was on a debate stage with those people, I think it would just be absolutely hilarious. And I think he he's got the wit, he's got he's got that comedic timing as well because he's a comedian. And um, and I think that's kind of what people need to just make a make a fool of the mainstream parties. And um, and that's kind of what Trump did to some degree was he just made a fool of everybody. I mean, like I mean, you remember when he was running and he like it was it was like nonsensical when he was like uh, Rand Paul brought up like legitimate criticisms or whatever and he's like why are you even up here you're at like zero percent in the polls <laughs> yeah. what's up with your hair yeah exactly like, you know like things like that where it's he's like, like look i can make i can make fun of your looks a lot and believe, believe me there's plenty of material there it's like and when you're watching it you're just like this is absolutely hilarious but it's also completely nonsensical but if you have somebody who also has like a core philosophy and has that comedic ability mm -hmm. they can they can make those types of jokes but also turn it into basically being like yeah but you're a mass murderer so like i i say mean things about you know whoever but you kill whoever like it's, it's you know and they're and they can't say no i don't it's like no of course you did you voted for iraq you actually sent those people to die yeah and and you sent those people to go kill those other people who like in yemen are the poorest people in the middle east yeah so, and, I, and i'm sure he would probably get a lot of donations from military veterans saying yeah, yeah i agree with this comedian guy i think he's making a lot of sense and 
I, I mean, I, 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 it, again, with the whole representing thing, all these people are supposed to represent saying we don't want this war to continue, but yeah. I'm going to continue voting for it because my name is Liz Cheney and I can do whatever I want because I'm a Republican, whatever. Screw you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also not like uh, a professional comedian has never become president of a country. Like the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, was a professional comedian. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's very funny, too. My, my yeah. wife watches him. Um, he has, there's a lot of interesting like shows that they have over there that like that I actually think would do really well here. They should, they should, they should bring those shows to the United States, but, uh, wouldn't be the first in English. Time. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't be the first time they would Americanize shows. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. I guess, uh, kind of going back a little bit and, uh, speaking of comedy, uh, there's going to be a recall election looks like against Gavin Newsom and, a certain someone is going to be. Uh, I, I think. I think it's pretty much official now, right? Or is it? Or she? Or I think is she, she said it publicly. So I okay. think that like the interest is official. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, Caitlyn Jenner is apparently going to put her name in there. So that's going to be funny. So yeah. I know when um, Arnold Schwarzenegger they did that. Uh, I think it was a recall election or a special election or whatever. Uh, yeah, that was when Gray Davis got recalled because of the whole. Uh, I think it was. It was. Was it because of Enron? I can't remember which what the scandal was, but there's a huge yeah. scandal about energy, and uh, that was what got Gray Davis recalled. Yep, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger won, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't even know what happened with that. I think he won. I believe I'm not really sure. Yeah, yeah. So he was he was governor for the remainder of that term, I think, and then uh, he won a subsequent term. I, I think that's correct. Um, he, I mean, he was governor. Uh, I was actually not living in California anymore when he became governor. I lived in Virginia at the time, but um, uh, I mean, as far as by California standards, he was an okay governor, I guess. I, I mean, it's California, so pretty yeah. much whoever you get is not going to be great. Uh, thank you for voting for me. I'm I'm happy to be governor of California. Appreciate. Yeah. Thank you. That's pretty good. That's pretty good impression of Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so. It's going to be funny seeing, you know, one celebrity, Arnold, being governor. And then if Caitlyn Jenner ends up winning, there's another celebrity. I mean, we have, okay, yeah. so Donald Trump was president. That was a celebrity. Arnold Schwarzenegger, celebrity. Ronald Reagan, celebrity. He was president. That's right. And he was governor of California. That's right. I, I guess yeah. if you, you should be Cal- governor of California first, then you can become president because people were uh, throwing it out there about Arnold Schwarzenegger running for president, but that never materialized. Yeah. Well, he can't. He's he's. You have to be a natural born citizen to be president. Right. So they would have to amend the constitution. But, right. Yeah. I think there was some there was some talk about maybe we should yeah. do this because we like him. But yeah, it never it never happened. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'll be because uh, also um, there was talk. I guess people want because uh, I think Matthew McConaughey is also possibly going to run for something in Texas. Supposedly, he's. Flipped the idea, or I don't know if he has, or if people around him have flipped yeah. the idea of running for governor here. Which I don't know anything about him. I, yeah, I, maybe, it, he'd be maybe he'd be all right, all right, all right. And <laughs> <laughs> then uh, uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson uh, also possibly running. I don't know. I, I'll say this about the Rock: he's got he's got the charisma. He's definitely got that. But I I think he'll just be he'll just be so milk toast as. A politician because he just wants to be friends with everybody yeah you know? I, I don't i don't i really don't know anything about it. i mean the thing is when it comes to i think political office uh 
the person that wins has to be extremely charismatic. That's why celebrities do very well yeah. usually in things. Right. And, um, and also the name recognition helps a lot. The, once they get into office, if they would, if they want to have like a successful thing, they would just have to bring in people who know how to, this is, this is kind of why Trump didn't do well actually right. is because right. he doesn't know how to run anything. This, and this is kind of why you get this permanent bureaucracy in government is that people get in and they don't really, a, the job is too big for one person to do. And B, most people don't know how to do that. So that's why you kind of get a lot of the same people staffing from administration to administration. They don't really rotate people out a lot. I mean, like, although it, it, it's not exactly the case because it's the federal reserve and it's a little bit, but Jerome Powell is a Trump appointee, mm-hmm. but he's still chair of the federal reserve. And, uh, and then, you know, Janet Yellen uh, was an Obama. Uh, well, actually, no, she was, she was, yeah, she was an Obama appointee, but as soon as like her time was up, then it was Jerome Powell, if I recall. Um, yeah, and then but, I yeah, think, it's, it's, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think she's in with Biden now too. She's so, Treasury Secretary, I think. Yeah, because there's two actually. There's two like Treasury people. One is like the person that signs the dollars, and the other person actually has power. Um, hmm. I can't remember what I can't remember what the other position. One of them is Treasury Secretary, and one of them's like Chief of the Treasury or something like that. Yeah, it's on so, the, it's on like the bill where yeah it says uh, the Treasury Secretary and it says their name and it says Treasurer of the United States or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's one of those. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what the position is. Which, by the way, has been a woman in that position since 1946. So, oh. uh, very progressive of America yeah, to have the person know. who signs things. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Your signature looks better than mine because I'm a yeah. man. That's, right? that's probably why they did it. They were just <laughs> yeah. like they were like they have really good handwriting. Let's just let's just get one of them in there. Right. Right. Uh, man. So yeah, it's going to be, uh, yeah, that, that's, that, that'd be hilarious if Caitlin, I I think it's, it's like a crisis of conscience for people in California on the left is that Caitlin Jenner from the, what I was reading online is billing herself as a Trump Republican and, but she's transgendered. So if you're a progressive Californian, do you support them because they're LGBTQ plus or do you support them or do you not support them because they're stylized as a Trump Republican? It's almost like which one's more powerful, my hatred toward (laughs) Trump or my my identity. Yeah. 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 And it's like because, you know, see those memes all the time with like, which button do you press? And the person's like sweating it out or whatever. It's like, how do do you know which one to vote for? Which is, I mean, honestly, like if I was in a situation like that. That's the only reason I would do it is just to mess with people. It'd be an alter, it'd be like a great troll. Um, as far as like political, you know, politics go in California, I, I just don't think it matters that much who's governor because of the way that the legislature is there. Is um, it is so heavily progressive Democrat that even if you have a Republican governor, it it you you can kind of tie up some stuff, but it's for the most part. It doesn't make a difference. That's one of the reasons, you know, the Jefferson movement, which is to the movement of Northern California to split off. Um, that's one of the things that they are, are always arguing is that Northern California, I don't remember exactly how many representatives they have, but because the population is so low, like in the part of California I'm from, um, there's fewer representatives for like the entire Northern part of the state than for like one small section of Los Angeles. And it's just because the, if, if California is split along the, the lines, I think the um, Jefferson would only have like 2 million people. Hmm. It, it, it's a, it's a very rural. I mean, California is a mostly rural state. It's just that LA, San Diego, San Francisco, and Sacramento to some degree make up 
the rest of the population. I mean, LA is the second largest city in the country, I think. Um, you know, they're pushing 15 or 15 million people, I think, in the greater Metroplex. And so it's a huge, huge area. And then San Diego is only a couple of hours away from that. And San Francisco is actually not, it's actually surprisingly not that big, although their Metroplex is fairly large. But mm -hmm. um, it's the, the way that the politics in California works is that this is the, the plan of, of Jefferson is basically to force California to admit that it's ungovernable. I mean, there's more people in California than in Canada and Canada's multiple provinces. So the, the idea is to force a, um, a re so California also has referendums, which is a little bit different than a lot of places. So people, there's a, a some sort of degree of direct democracy. And, uh, so if you can get a referendum on the ballot to force at least every county having one representative, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's something like the, the California legislature would be like 4,000 members if if they did it that way, which is ridiculous. Like having a legislature of 4,000 members makes no sense. Mm -hmm. And so that idea is for them to be able to then approach the federal government and say, um, the state's ungovernable. It needs to be split at least into two, preferably seven. And, uh, and if you split it into seven, the I guess the advantage is that you would have an uneven number, so you would split it along party lines so that Republicans would get a couple of the states and then Democrats would get the majority of the states so that you would still have the same number of rep like representation as kind of how it currently works in the Senate. I mean, because the state really could be split into seven easily, and it would be – it would still – still some of those states would still be among the most populous states. So, um, yeah. And so there's a lot of weird things about quirky things about California that make it kind of a, an odd place. And, but it's also an extremely, extremely progressive place in the Metro areas and an extremely sort of conservatarian place in the rural areas. So mm. uh, very, very farm and, um, I mean, like the main industries in the county where I'm from um, are like logging and farming and ranching, that kind of stuff, like rural type jobs. Uh, and there is no, um, there's no real city there. There's, well, actually, I guess Tahoe, Tahoe's kind of a city. So, and Tahoe's extremely progressive as well. So, hmm. uh, and then, you know, then you get places like, um, up, up by Reading. Reading is is kind of a conservative city, but it's like it's a city of like ten thousand people or something like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's very very small areas, uh, and so it's it's kind of an interesting state because you do get a lot of people who are extremely extremely conservative from these kind of more rural areas, and then people who are like ultra progressives from like San Francisco, uh, mm -hmm. and and so it, it makes it a weird place. But because of the way the population is distributed. People, oh, there's my dogs. Um, people in the rural areas basically have no representation in the in the state legislature. Um, so, like almost all of Northern California only has like three legislatures, uh, le or legislators, and um, so it just kind of makes it a it, it, again makes it a weird place. Uh, if they do get a Republican governor again, um, which Arnold was, uh, right. it's going to be a California Republican, which even Ronald Reagan at the time was considered a very from from like the era that he was coming out of in our minds now we think of him as a very conservative figure mm -hmm. but in that era when he first kind of came in he was considered sort of a compromise candidate by a lot of people because he was from california which was a 
a, a little bit of a different state. It was it was more of a Republican state back then, but it was California Republican, which is uh, at the time I wouldn't say it was progressive necessarily, but it was a little bit more more libertarian, I guess would would sort of be the way that it was thought of. So it wasn't really it didn't really conform to the other Republicans, and now the Republicans don't really conform with the rest of the like like they don't they don't conform with like Texas Republicans, which is a very different thing. Yeah. And, um, and that's, you know, that's just the way the state is. It's, I, I love the state. I, I wish I could move back, but it's not a, uh, it's not a place conducive to, uh, personal growth, I guess, or financial <laughs> success. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and everybody's leaving. I, I think that there was, uh, maybe I'm thinking of New York, but I think Cal they were saying that California at this last census lost some, uh, seats. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, that I might be thinking of New York, but I know that a couple of this, of the very blue states lost representation and i think florida and texas picked up several seats yeah it's something uh, like that yeah yeah and and that was actually another really <clears throat> interesting thing about the way that california is going and in, you know you know like a lot of people in texas are going like don't don't california my texas kind of right. thing yeah well it turns out that they've been doing some <clears throat> like research on this and you know again california republicans are not really the same thing but it's it's that the people that are leaving for the most part from places like new york and from california are actually republicans uh, they vote Republican in those states. So those states are just going to become more blue. <laughs> and the theory is that the Florida and Texas are going to become more red, especially with, hmm. you know, the, the Trump movement had, you know, Republicans have always been really good at expanding what like white is. <laughs> and, and, and Trump did a very good job of, of being very inclusive of Latinos kind of being brought into this, you know, at the turn of the century, Italians and Irish were not white, but at mm -hmm. some point they needed to build the larger coalition. The Republicans started integrating these other groups of people into it. And Asians to some degree have been integrated into that. So there's now this, um, a larger coalition of people that who, if you don't think about it, you would go like, Oh, they're going to vote Democrat and Democrats take advantage, take that for granted a lot where like, and Trump kind of turned that on its head a little bit. I mean, especially male uh, African-Americans and male Latinos and and Asians have in large numbers started switching over to voting more straight line Republican than they ever did before. And I think that's why we see like a lot of the um, how the media has been really promoting this stop Asian hate stuff is because they don't want to lose the demographic because hmm. uh, it's been a minorities have always been integrated into the democratic party yeah and the the republican strategy for growing their base is always to just integrate them into you know what the left would call whiteness or whatever but yeah. what i think republicans would call is just american so um i don't know how we got off on that topic but it's just it's it's very interesting I, oh it's because because of california like yeah I, the i i could see caitlin jenner winning but it wouldn't be it wouldn't make California red. It would just make California the same thing as it is now, just with a Republican transgendered governor. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it would be something where she would have to, I guess, cater to the state. You know, it's like you were saying, yeah. if someone from Texas moves to California, whatever, and then starts spouting out Texas stuff, they're going to be like, this has nothing to do with me. I'm going to vote for you because how's that going to sure. affect me or anything like that? Yeah. And, it's kind of like the you know the whole well someone from New York doesn't know how to govern someone in Kansas and someone in 
Minnesota doesn't have to govern someone in Nevada or something because they all have their different yeah. issues and, and all that stuff and whatever matters yeah, that, to them. So and that, that's kind of one of the reasons why California is so dysfunctional um, when it comes to its government is because the state is so large and yeah. it's also so diverse in its interests. Like I, like I said, like Northern California is very ranch heavy, farming, logging, um, fishing on the coast, things like that. Whereas mm -hmm. like, you know, then you got like the Bay Area, it's all very tech centered and um you know, that type of stuff, finance, tech, uh, that kind of thing. And then whatever the hell Los Angeles does, Hollywood, I guess, and things yeah. related to Hollywood. And San Diego, I guess, is the military. I don't really know what else San, San Diego does. The, the military is the only thing that I, I know that's down there. That's I was born in San Diego because mm -hmm. my dad was stationed there when I was well, when I was born. So, <laughs> but uh, that's not where we're from. We're from the good part of California. <laughs> <laughs> with that, with that, uh, like splitting the state, is that kind of where the? Um, and I'm just thinking of it geographically, but is it that that bend? You know, where like Nevada is, and it, yeah. it goes like that. Is that where the, it would bend? Uh, like, yeah, roughly there. It, it would okay. it would basically just go across roughly around that area, and then not include San Francisco. So okay, um, but then there's 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 a lot of proposals. I mean, this this has come up several times. When I was a kid. I think I think it was either when I was a kid or it was maybe a little bit before my time. I, I don't really recall it very very well, but my parents talk about it once in a while. There was a vote to split it, a referendum, and and end up failing. Hmm. Um, but there's been a couple of others. There was like the uh, there was a, either the six Californias or the seven Californias proposal a few years ago that never made it to the referendum, and then um, there's been a couple of three California proposals. Uh, where Northern California would be split into its own. And then you'd kind of have like a, a central California section that is more mm -hmm. coastal. And then you'd have Southern California centered around LA. The problem, the problem with a lot of these proposals is that um, places, a lot of places don't. So like where I'm from, San Francisco's kind of Northern California, but like none of the people from like the parts of California I'm from want to be anything related to San Francisco. So and you got the same thing down in Los Angeles is as soon as you get out of Los Angeles, especially once you get into some of the farmland and things like that, they're very, very anti LA. But if you just split it up by these geographical borders, you kind of end up with Northern California being what Northern California wants. And then the rest of rural California still being stuck with all the same problems. And because I mean, it's just the nature of cities is that they're not, they don't take up the entire area. So you don't have a lot of these people with the same interests. Cities, you don't, I mean, it, it, to, for it to be like, to work the way it, you know, this is, I think one of the reasons why a lot of people become anarchists is because you start kind of looking into the way, the geopolitics of stuff is that when, to say that like these farmers out here in outside of LA have the same interests as the people in LA LA people don't know anything about the water issues. You know, California has a lot of, a lot of water issues right now. Um, LA doesn't know anything about the water issues of the farmers and the farmers don't give a shit if you can wash your, you know, million dollar Tesla or whatever, you know, right. Yeah. Um, they like, there's just, there's, you can't arrive at some sort of compromise that will benefit both people when there's scarcity of resources. And, you, you're not going to be able to get people who live in a urban environment to understand what's going on in a lot of rural situations and, and vice versa. Like it, uh, Malice talks about this once in a while where like you, there's some sort of plausibility when like you live in an apartment complex that you'd like, well, you know, I don't really want somebody to have a, a gun that can like shoot the wall through the wall and kill me or whatever. You know, there's, there's, there's a, a surface level plausibility of that. 
but it makes right. no sense at all to tell somebody who lives on 20 acres out in the middle of nowhere that they can't have a gun, especially when it's going to take an hour plus for the sheriff to get to your house. If you have a problem Like you need to be able to take care of those things yourself. And that's not something that through like a lifestyle concept, somebody in the city is going to have a very good grasp on. Uh, even people like me, you know, I live, we live in Arlington now, but like in the DFW area, there's just a lot of stuff that I kind of forgot about uh, from living out in the country. So like when I go visit my family in California, the the town has grown. So we do have a lot of those conveniences, but like my sister lives up in the mountains now and it's like, you can't just go to the grocery store real quick. Like, Oh, Oh, we're out of, you know, whatever. Let's just go to the grocery store. Yeah. And here it's like the grocery store is two minutes away, but when you live up in the in the hills, it's like, no, it's an ordeal. It's a 45-minute drive to get to the nearest grocery store. That grocery store is usually not very good. It's usually just kind of a convenience store, and they mm -hmm. may not have a lot of those things. So um, so it's just a there's just that's just one example of like very different situations that make it so that you cannot really form a cohesive political entity. Um and and that's kind of, I think, what's happening with California and why it's ex extremely dysfunctional and, and other reasons, too. I mean, like, I think that the, the progressive policies are also terrible. But um, as far as far as like people agreeing one way or the other yeah. is you're just not going to get it. They, they just do not live the same lifestyle. The state is too big. There's too many people. And the people live in such different ways that it's just not governable. I, I mean, like I see more cohesion and like ideal like ideological cohesion in texas than in california like going from here out into the country in texas to me is not as extreme as going from san francisco to where i'm from in california mm -hmm. which is you know three hour drive i guess or two two or three hour drive it's not that far and it's just a very different world whereas here like if we you know if you go from arlington out to like a small town or whatever it's still pretty normal or pretty texas um I would say that the city's a little less less like that, but right. um, it's still there's I think a little bit more cohesion when it comes to just not being able to understand somebody else. Whereas in California, it's just it's so different, and they just it's just. I mean, have you ever been to San Francisco? <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's wild. Like it's a beautiful city. Well, not anymore, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's got a lot of cool things. But it's like it's just a very bizarre place. It's, Seattle's like this too. It's just like I'm sure there's like suburbs and stuff like that that are they're basically the same as here, but just more left wing. But just the cities themselves are just so weird. Hmm. And um, and I and like San Francisco and Seattle, I always kind of and Portland too is like this. It's like they're always trying to like out bizarre each other yeah <laughs> just like it's kind of austin i guess is a little bit like that where austin's like they kind of want to be along that same sort yeah of like, like keep, keep off and weird slogan yeah 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 but they're they've got nothing on san francisco san francisco is a, <laughs> it's like just a, another world it's weird <laughs> yeah like you were saying about um how just a, a three-hour drive from a major city in california to somewhere in the middle of nowhere it's completely yeah. different it's that uh, divide, I guess, between city and country or, uh, you know, rural versus uh, like a big, high, highly populated area or whatever. Mm -hmm. And 
it's kind of that uh, I'm pretty sure it's an argument. So correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it's like, it's like that argument where that's why instead of just a United States of America, everyone has, everyone gets to vote for who the next president is, whatever, because your vote matters and everything like that, because this one person is going to represent 331 million people, however many people are in America. Instead, yeah. it should just be one, you are your own country. You get to make yeah. your own decisions. And you know, for, for example, like someone who lives in Dallas has their beliefs or whatever, and it's probably pretty liberal or progressive, whatever. And then someone in like, I don't know, Midland, for example, they're kind of more in like the oil country type of place. And that's, that's their livelihood is, is this is oil. But someone in Dallas, they're like, no, I'm going to go to this, uh, to this vegan shop. Cause that's what I care about. Yeah. You, you know, and it, it's, it's that, it's that, um, that's why the whole thing, when I, when I see people talking about, well, we got to keep this, we got to, we got to, we got to bring each other together. We got to come together. And I was like, that's impossible. Yeah. It's so, well, impo- I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's this scarcity of resources. It's like, you know, there's no coincidence of wants in a lot of cases. And like, this is, this is something that Northern California struggles with a lot is, is that, San Francisco makes, well, the cities make these rules for the rural areas that just don't make sense at all for the rural areas. And it also destroys any sort of economic activity. Like they, they've made a lot of – logging is extremely difficult now in, in California. Although to some degree, I, 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 would, I would say I agree with making the logging difficult. I wish they would just privatize – I mean California is something like 80% owned by the government. So, um, so a lot of it is the, the issue – this is a whole separate issue, but so they probably um, with the logging thing, they probably have a, I would guess they can only cut so many trees or something like that to, to do any of that. Right. Like, they have well, like so, a, yeah. They so the can, way that it used to be, and this is why, and, and I understand why they started putting all this legislation against it is they used to do clear cutting. So they would, um, they would, they would, you know, you'd get a lease for three years or whatever from the government, from the, either the state or federal government. And you, and you'd have this area where you could cut trees down as much as you wanted during this time period. And so they would just come and they would just clear all the trees out. And um, mm-hmm. so then you see just these hills where it's just like completely empty of trees, it would cause uh, soil erosion and mudslides and stuff like that. This is very much in contrast to the way that Maine does a lot of their logging is most of the state of Maine is privately owned. And there mm-hmm. is quite a bit of logging done up there, but they do, uh, it's called selective logging. So they go through and they pick trees out to, to uh, chop down mm-hmm. and then bring them out. And this makes it so that because you have an incentive to maintain the land and preserve it for future generations, because this is your family's livelihood. Um, you, you, it's basically a lot more sustainable, uh, in that sense. Well, California's response to the clear cutting is not to privatize it and do like a main model. Their solution is to say, you just can't chop down trees and it kills all of this industry, which a ton of people are, um, employed in this industry. And it, and it, and it basically, this is why like in rural California, the average age is, it's very high. It's over 50 um, because anybody who's young and wants a job, they can't work there anymore. And all of those industries have been made illegal. Mining is very difficult there. Um, logging, fishing, uh, uh, ranching is difficult because it's, there's a drought and all the water goes to the cities. Um, so there's, and there's been a drought forever. I mean, California is a dry state, so it's um, not, so the water management is kind of a tricky situation. Uh, and, 
you know, if, if you've got a hundred people voting to take the water away from the one person, even though the one person grows all the food for the other hundred people, like those hundred people are going to be, well, no, I want water. I want to be able to wash my car. And then also that on top of that, there's this, there's a whole thing about water prices in California where they have a cap on how much water can cost, which means that if you, uh, if you, you, you don't have to make decisions about what to use water for. So like Tom Woods has talked about this before where he's like, if you, if water is a dollar, you can take a shower, you know, wash your car, drink it, boil some spaghetti or whatever. You, you've got all these different things that you can do with water. Now, if water then goes up to a hundred dollars, you have to start making some decisions about what you do. Maybe you don't eat spaghetti tonight. Maybe right. you don't wash your car. Maybe, maybe you take a shower every other day. That's kind of gross, but you know, maybe that's, maybe you, you make a couple of different decisions. And because California has a maximum price, they're in a drought, but Dasani is bottled there. Aquafina is bottled there. Mm. Nestle bottles water there. Why? Because the water is, has a maximum price. So it's cheap for them to bottle it there. So, mm. um, so there's like all these kind of weird things like that about California. And this is kind of, adds to the political dysfunction of the state is uh instead of coming up with you know good market solutions it's their answer and and it has been for my entire life is always oh well we just need more government more regulation so instead of being like we're gonna we're gonna remove the cap on water prices so that farmers can get some of that water because they'll they'll pay a premium for it because they need it to you know water their olive groves or whatever which california is the largest producer of olives um, and so like, but they've had to, in recent years, tear all of those out because they don't have the water to support those olive trees and the olive trees take a very long time to grow too. This is what's really kind of tragic about it is that you've got trees that take 10 or 15 years to grow, to start producing a good yield of olives and they don't have the water to keep them going. So they have to tear them out. But anyways, that's another kind of side story. So instead of allowing the market to kind of like prioritize water usage, they just go ahead and like, they'll be like, oh, well now what we'll do is we'll subsidize the farm or whatever. And so then they'll be like, okay, well, we'll just pay you not to grow olives or uh, so that we can get more water to the city. And like, there's it, a lot of weird stuff. It's like, it's, it's a really good case study of how like compounding government action just continues to cause worse and worse and worse problems. I mean, and you see this too with like the high speed rail that they, that they've been building from LA to San Francisco. Hmm. It's like seven times over budget Jeez. and it's still, and it's not done. It probably won't ever get finished. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Like they're like these types of these weird, just these bizarre things. Like one of the issues with it was they were going to build this high speed rail, and then I think they they built like ninety percent of it, and then they realized when they were almost done that they'd used the wrong gauge of track. That the track that they were using can't actually run a high speed train. I how they realized ninety percent after it was done. I don't know if it's ninety. I might be exaggerating, but it's like some crazy amount of the the whole thing was done to do it, and then like then they, they ended up eminent domaining like seven times the amount of land that they actually needed. And then, and so they had to pay out all these people, these, you know, oh, cause you had to pay them market price plus a certain amount when you eminent domain something. A lot of these people didn't want to move and then they end up not using it. So then they, then they like sold that to like land developers in the, the various cities to build suburbs basically. So they're tearing out all of these like farms. Like, it's just a very, it's just a weird thing. So like when, and this is, I think it's just a really good example for people to look at. Maybe I need to start putting more California exile stuff out because it's a really good example for just how like, it's not even just like, I don't want to take like the kind of conservative approach that if we could just get the right people in and make the right policies, we could solve oh, these things. Oh, yeah. It, it, there's just not a solution to, there's not a centralized solution to 
the issues in a place that large. And, and it's even true in, in places that are, you know, even smaller. I mean, Dallas could even be, could be politically split up and, and it would probably do better than it does currently. I mean, Cal- Dallas is a very corrupt city, actually. Um, it's really kind of interesting. Like that's also very interesting, but mm-hmm. uh, there's like a lot of these types of things where these things, like the more you split things up, the more functional it's going to become. And California is a really good example of, of a centralized authority. That's not kind of refuses to sort of allow things to go back to, I mean, the counties do have a lot of power actually in California. So, cause they have a, a, a federal, mo- a federalist model um, in California. So counties do actually have quite a bit of power, but sort of the way that States do, but just like the United States, a lot of that power has been ceded to the centralized authority. So whereas the counties used to have a lot of independent power, used to make a lot of decisions, they kind of pass that off to the state. And that's kind of where they get a lot of issues as well. Um, so like that's, that's very different than a lot of other states. Like I, Texas, I don't think has that kind of model where in California counties are very important. Um, mm. The county seat makes a lot of decisions and stuff. And in, because it, it was for, I think two months or three months, it was a Republic. So it was its own country for a little while. Um, <laughs> not for very long. But. Yeah. Jeez, that that's crazy though. How they could be making something or whatever there, and then yeah, I hear say they realized they were make they were using the, the wrong uh, railing or anything like yeah. that. It's it's just like, I mean, I don't know how they would test that or, or something like that to make sure. Oh, maybe uh, let's see if the if the wheel or the the tr- whatever the the rail track fits this. Oh, it doesn't fit. Eh, continue yeah. building it where because we need to get this done. You right. know. Well, and that's what it was. One of the guys, one of the biggest proponents for the high-speed rail has switched and is now campaigning completely against it um, because oh. of how expensive it got. Is He thought it would be a really good idea, but he said like, once he started getting into the weeds of it and working on it, he just realized nobody really cares about this job finishing and there mm-hmm. actually being a functional high-speed rail between San Francisco and um, LA. What they care about is contracts mm-hmm. that are around building this. So if you get a contract to somebody who has the wrong gauge track for the, the trains fit on the track, it's just because of the way that the track is like, you can't run the trains at that speed. You have to run them at the normal speed. So, so one company puts these in, they sell out of their tracks or whatever. And then they go, Oh, mistake. We got to switch this out. Well, now you get to pay another person to tear all those tracks out and put the new train train tracks back in. So you, so everybody gets to scratch everybody's back. That's all kind of connected in this in this sort of thing. And then California is a very heavy union state. A lot of these workers are unionized. Um, and whereas the union, I don't think, is particularly beneficial for the workers, the union bosses make a ton of money on this sort of stuff. They, they get all these different contracts and stuff. And then they can take that contract money and then funnel it into the campaign of another person who's going to continue this process. So like... And then sort of they have the sunk cost fallacy. Now they're like, oh, well, we've already spent a trillion dollars on it or whatever. Um, we can't stop now. We've already spent a trillion dollars. And it's like, yeah, okay, so how much is it going to cost to finish it? Oh, probably about seven more trillion. It's like, so like, I don't know if that's the, again, I don't know if those are the actual numbers, <laughs> but it, it is something crazy like that where they they keep going like, oh, well, we've already we've already started. We got we to finish it now. It's like, well, no, because what you're, you've already, uh, you already, totally got the estimate for how much is going to cost wrong. Yeah. And, and then another thing that they didn't factor into this high speed rail, which I think is really funny is that um, because each community along the track has their own little governments and those little, and their little fiefdoms with their 
with their own politicians that ha have to get some of this money. They've negotiated stops all along the way, right? So if you have a train that's supposed to go a certain number of miles per hour and it has to stop every couple of miles, there's no point in it going fast because it's got to stop a whole bunch of times. Like, so, so you're just going to, you're going to, it's never going to be able to get up to maximum speed um, unless you make bypasses. And then that's another proposal. Now they're going like, Oh, what we want is like, if the train is going to go to this place, we want it to be able to like go off and stop while this one's going faster. So you can have the express to San Francisco. Cause it, it's, it, it ends up being this like just crazy nightmare. Jeez, that that just sounds really. It, it, it almost sounds like they just they didn't have any plan whatsoever. They just went, "Hey, got build the rail, build the rail, just go yeah. do it." And then they had no exit strategy. That whole term, exit yeah. strategy. But you know, Cato wrote a really good um, report on this a couple of years ago. I don't remember what the report is called, but it's basically it goes it goes through the history of rail in the United States, mm. um, which has never been. It's always been a money pit. It, it's um, like freight rail is actually. It is um, profitable, but people mover rail has never been profitable. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and there's only one place in the world that actually has profitable rail or revenue neutral rail, and that's uh, China and Japan. Those, those are the two countries that have it. And it's because their population is very dense. Yeah. Um, but there's this, for whatever reason, we've actually talked about this on Tasting Anarchy, even though it has nothing to do with wine. But um, there's this weird fetish in America with railroads. And I think it just comes from the kind of the frontier attitude where like the rail opened up the frontier. And that's sort of true. Um, it's not as true as people think, but there's not a single rail system in the United States that is revenue neutral. They're all money losers per passenger. Uh, Dallas actually has one of the most un like undestructive or whatever um, rail systems. And they, they still lose like 50 cents a passenger Jeez. per ride. So, and then like the, the champion is where I used to live in Norfolk and um, they lose like a dollar 70 per passenger per ride. <laughs> so, and then the old champion was actually where nearby where I used to live in California, which uh, the, the green line in um, Sacramento used to be one of the biggest money losers. It was, it was like a dollar 50 per passenger uh, loss and nobody wrote it. That's the other thing too, is it, it loses so much money because nobody rides it. That, that's kind of the problem with, so and we, I can go on for hours and hours about these stupid things, but it's like, so if you're, if you're subsidizing automobiles by building roads everywhere, yeah, and then you're also subsidizing rail, these are, these are competing forms of transportation. So it, it would be like if Coca-Cola was subsidizing Pepsi, but also producing Coca-Cola. So it's like, you're, you're, you're basically making it so that you're going to lose money regardless. You're going to lose money on the subsidy. Plus people are going to buy the other product. And so in the United States, there's a subsidy to the auto industry in the form of roads. I mean, this was this is a big scandal in the early 1900s or not. It used to be that people walked on roads. Um, and then the auto industry and the tire industry and the gasoline industry and all these people started lobbying the government to make roads exclusively for cars. Hmm. And so, you, so that's why like they're in New York and stuff like that, you, you don't really see people walking around on the road. They're always on the sidewalks and stuff like that. But it used to be that people just kind of walked in the middle and cars had to like figure out how to navigate without running people over. Hmm. And then that lobby continued into like the interstate highway act and stuff like that. These are all huge, huge subsidies to the auto industry. Like people may not, we may not get around by car in the United States if it wasn't for the, the interstate highway system being built. And then 
that's compounded by you get the interstate highway system, which then makes it so that people can move further out, which is a subsidy to um, land developers who build suburbs. But it also it then makes people have to use more gas, which is sort of a subsidy to the oil industry, which is also you know greasing the hands of tons of politicians. So you've got all of these all of these things that kind of stack on top of each other where the government kind of comes in and forces you to socialize one product with roads, which then ends up being a money funnel into a whole bunch of different industries. So, you know, you've got huge companies like GM and Ford and that sort of stuff. But then you also have these huge oil companies where the, if the United States wasn't consuming that much gasoline, if we were in more compact areas, um, the only people who would who would have cars and stuff, and then travel would be a lot slower. There's a lot of conveniences and stuff that come out of it that really is part of the American sort of the American way of life is we are car culture and we've been for a long time, but uh, that's really predicated on this idea that the government's going to build all these roads everywhere. I mean, there were roads that were private, you know, I think the New Jersey turnpike was private um, when it originally, and then it was got seized by the government, but um, there's, there were private roads, but, if GM and Ford and all that sort of stuff were in like a free market, they would have the Ford highway and they would have the GM highway and that sort of stuff. And that would be built into the price of your car, not built into your income tax bill. So like there's just a lot of, actually it's not even built into your income tax bill. It's they print the money or they, and they tax your gas, which is also because we're getting rid of gas cars now uh, <laughs> as a subsidy to another industry. Yeah. Uh, supposedly we're going to get rid of them. Now they're, now they're going to work on this mileage tax instead of a gas tax to pay for all this stuff. Yeah. Just trying to get, right. trying to get the electric cars out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, just, that's, that's a big loser. Yeah. It, it's interesting that um, yeah, you're talking about all this road stuff and, and I'm sure with all the uh, railroads and everything like that, you're you're still your tax dollars i'm sure are still going into that i don't know how much it is because yeah. i don't know how much any of my tax dollars is going to whatever i don't know i have no idea that's the whole problem with it but well, the rail so passenger rail like amtrak uses commercial rail lines but the commercial rail lines were subsidized um so have you ever seen the movie hell on wheels or the tv show it sounds it familiar, yeah. really yeah. good actually but um so uh, this was kind of a lot of cronyism in the beginning, but they would, they would pay the rail companies to build rails out West. Hmm. This is like one of the big scandals of actually the Lincoln administration it started with him. This is hmm. Lincoln paid a bunch of people to massacre the Indians to get them out of the way for the rail. So, and, and are you his, telling me that Abe was not honest? Oh my gosh. And his campaign was like largely funded by these big uh, industrialists and rail, rail companies and stuff like that. Hmm. So, so anyways, that was one of the things that, that he did besides the civil war, but uh yeah. Was was just basically massacring all these Indians out west to make room for the railroad, and so with the rail, they they got these um, deals where they would get a certain amount of money from the federal government per mile of track laid, and hmm. and then they would also have first rights to access the land that was around those rails. So, like any savvy businessman would, they instead of building the rail like this, they built the rail like this. That's up, down, up, down, up, down, and so they would make they would basically make these like really bizarre, you know, government funded rail things. When it, would probably, they, when it would probably be more convenient just to go straight. They decided oh, yeah. turns there and some yeah. stuff there. It, it was, it's because they could, they could get more land rights that way. And, and then also because wow. per mile track, they would get more money. So, oh. um, so they do that. And if you go look at like private lines, uh, private rail lines, like Virginia beach had um, a pretty successful private passenger line and freight line. Um, but if you go look up like, 
in parts of Canada and parts of Alaska and stuff like that, there were private lines that didn't have any government subsidies and they're very, they're very straight. They just go very straight. They blew through mountains and stuff like that and just made a straight mm -hmm. line. Whereas if you look at like the ones that were government subsidized, they wind around, they go here and there and here and there. And then they, they built all these artificial cities everywhere, which a lot of them are ghost towns now, mm -hmm. but they would be like stops on the rail. And, um, and a lot of them were water stops. So they would be near water because you had to put water in the steam engines, but, um, right. but they would basically these rail, road barons would they would get all these first access to the land and then once the rail got there and it was a stop they jack up the prices on the property and then tell everybody hey this is this great farmland that you can come out here and buy it from us and, and we'll give it to you for real cheap but they were actually selling it for like three times the amount that um it was worth and then a lot of times it wasn't good farmland it was it hmm. was kind of it was they would people would get out there and it was you couldn't live out there and uh a lot of these towns kind of dried up where there i could go on for hours about these kind of like weird <laughs> weird stuff but it's 10 o'clock so we got yeah up. <laughs> yeah it, it, it's crazy though all that stuff that you're talking about just some of the things that uh i guess you could say are hidden but when like you're saying kind of dig more into it and, and look yeah. at the weeds it's just it's it's crazy just the amount of cronyism that's pretty much in any industry you can think of i'm sure there's some kind of yeah pretty much cronyism, yeah. you know um yeah i mean that's i mean i guess it kind of gives credence to the whole obama you didn't build that because <laughs> because the incentives are there for you to start businesses that have infrastructure support. Right. And, yeah. but just because the infrastructure support is there, doesn't because the government distorts those markets, doesn't mean that that's the appropriate industry. Like, I mean, we, we may not even, if, if they had never subsidized roads in the first place, we may not even, even be talking about electric cars right now. We may have, we may get around in a totally different way, hmm. you know, but, um, but that's sort of the, the problem with the counterfactual issue is that um, I can pontificate and just and make up all sorts of stories and things like that about what might be, but I have no way to show that that's what it would be. So, um, and I mean, there, there is sort of a counterfactual to it, I guess, is that, you know, um, in a lot, in lots of places in Europe, they didn't put a lot of money into the roads and people do travel by rail quite a bit more there. Um, although the, the one profitable rail system in Europe, was the British rail system. And then it was, uh, made public. Uh, the government seized it like in the nineties, I think. And yeah. it, now it's a money loser also. But, uh, that's, that's just one of those kind of weird things where it's like it, when you're talking to people about these types of things where you're like, well, the government shouldn't do this, but like they see with their eyes, the road is built, but they, there's no way to see what could have been if that money had not been taken away from somebody and put into roads. Like we may have a totally different way of transport. Like maybe maybe we would fly more often, or maybe there would be a lot more small airports, and people would fly from airport to airport. Who knows? Well, I guess to to end this whole thing, as Eric July elegantly said, "Fuck them ho ass roads." Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, thank you so much, Jake, for coming on. And uh, you know, th these kind of conversation that we were having, this is the type of stuff that you know at Childeberg, just having these really interesting and great conversations i mean yeah you can go in all sorts of different directions just like the train tracks apparently yeah um, well, and, and you know what and uh, the people who go to childerberg most of them are a lot smarter than i am uh <laughs> they're uh there's there's a ton of people with just so much knowledge that that go there it's it's just it's a lot of fun just sitting by the fire and just listening to people go and there's one conversation about bigfoot there mm -hmm. and one conversation about you know legal policy and sudan or something you know, right. some weird thing that people know about this stuff apparently so 
Yeah. And so everyone that's uh, watching and listening, if, and if you, you do know about Childerberg or anything like that, uh, I would highly recommend going. Uh, like I was saying at the beginning, it's, it's a lot of fun. And like I was just saying too, with the, the conversations are pretty much endless. You pretty much talk about whatever you want. You don't have to worry about anyone being like that. I, I mean, I'm sure some people agree or disagree, with, but that's the whole point. It's just, yeah. it's, it's really fun and everything like that. Um, but anyway, uh, go uh, let everyone know where they can find you and uh, plug whatever you want. Sure. Uh, at Childerberg on Twitter is where I make announcements and things like that. You could also uh, go to Childerberg.com, uh, sign up for the newsletter, um, and uh, buy a T-shirt. That's what helps pay for it or give a donation. Um, and then uh, if you want to listen to either one of the podcasts, uh, Californian in Exile is at Californian, uh, Californian in Exile, I think or I don't remember exactly what my Twitter handle is, but you can search California next how it'll come up. Um, and then, uh, or my bigger, I guess my more, I, I wouldn't say bigger. I, I, we don't, we don't have a huge number of listeners, but if you're interested in wine and Liberty, um, so we, we talk about how the government is impacting the alcohol markets and, uh, it's uh, at tasting anarchy on Twitter. And we post stuff a couple of, couple of times a month. And, um, yeah, that's it. But come to Childerberg. It's going to be uh, May 29th through 31st uh, at Muleshoe Bend Recreational Area. You can get all the information you need at Childerberg on Twitter or at Childerberg.com. All right. Well, again, thanks, Jake, for coming on. And, yeah, again, highly recommend going. It's a lot of fun. Hopefully, Nico and I will go next year, but you never know what's going to be going on in yeah. 2022. So we'll see. That's but uh, fingers crossed. Uh, so any, anyway, uh, to everyone watching and listening, thank you so much for watching and listening. We'll see you next time to let you know what's happening. Yeah.